Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host, Dave Elliott, and on this episode, I'm chatting with Alex Haidu, the brilliant production designer behind Lucifer, as well as the upcoming return of the fan favourite franchise, CSI Vegas. As I'm sure most of you are aware, Lucifer follows Lucifer Morningstar, who decides he's had enough of being the dutiful servant in hell and moves to spend some time on Earth to better understand humanity. He settles in Los Angeles, the city of angels, where he meets Chloe, an LAPD detective, and joins her in solving crimes. Meanwhile, CSI Vegas returns us to the smash hit CSI franchise and to Las Vegas, albeit with a new team running the Vegas Crime Lab. However, when an existential threat emerges which could bring down the whole facility, the brilliant team of forensic investigators must welcome back old friends and deploy new techniques to preserve and serve justice in Sin City. Alex has been working in the TV industry pretty much his entire adult life. In the interview, we discuss how he went from carrying boxes for a production company to working on one of the highest profile procedurals on TV. We also go through his work on Lucifer, from recreating the initial standing sets when the production moved to LA, to complex season six sets such as the Gaudi-inspired God's Throne Room and the Magic Castle Theatre. We of course cover his work on designing the new crime lab for the hugely anticipated return of CSI to our screens. Lucifer can be found on Netflix around the world, whilst CSI Vegas is set to launch on CBS on October the 6th in the USA. We don't yet have a UK premiere date for the series, but if you check out geektown.co.uk and search for CSI Vegas, you can use our Never Miss feature to be notified when it does land on this side of the Atlantic. If you'd like to hear more behind-the-scenes interviews, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Geektown Radio. This will also give you our weekly Geektown Radio podcast, which brings you all the latest tv film and gaming news you can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest uk and us tv premiere dates here's the interview with lucifer and csi vegas production designer alex haidu it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
lovely to be able to sit down and have a chat with you because Lucifer I absolutely adored pretty much from the beginning and uh, I'm quite interested in CSI Vegas we don't know where that's going to land over here yet but before we get into the shows themselves can we just do a little bit of background about you how did you get into the industry because I I read on some of the bio stuff you've been like working in it since you were 15 years old well you know I always wanted to be I guess the age of 15 I decided I wanted to be in the industry. I, I loved movies and I'm an immigrant. I'm, I was born in Hungary. And my and so I have absolutely no connections to the industry. I had nobody in it. I had no family in it. Mm. And so completely from the outside. So I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was willing to work as hard as I needed to, to get in. I, I didn't care what the job was or what it paid. So I sort of just, you know, an immigrant's approach to the work ethic. You know, I went, rolled my sleeves up and went, okay, just tell me what you need me to do. So I lived in Hollywood. I used to walk home from school and I went past this building, which it turns out, that I recognized as old Steve Allen studios. Right. And because he would do his man on his street, it was next to the old ranch market, which is no longer there. Mm. And I recognized the stage door and, uh, but he had already moved the studio and there was an independent production company that had moved in. And so the door was always open and they were always loading sets and equipment in and out. So I just walked over there and sort of started to volunteer. (laughs) So I just had me carry stuff and, you know, load cable. And I would ask questions and sort of learn the equipment and, so I was like already sort of had my hand in it at an early age. And then I would start to volunteer to every student film and whatever came my way or whatever I heard of, I would automatically just volunteer and do every job. So I was basically teaching myself filmmaking from hands-on perspective. Then in high school, I had a class that was called Radio, Television, Motion Picture Production as an English elective class. And we studied the history of radio and television. In the last semester, the last year I was in high school, we made our own films. So I'd gotten a pretty pretty good grounding in both the sort of the theory and the practice by that point. Um, (laughs) You know, and then when I started to go to City College, also started to work at KLCS, the Board of Education's new TV station. Right. Uh, And uh, so I just was an intern there and we helped set up the scene shop with Doug Stiles, who was a Canadian art director, who was the husband of the head of the art department at Hollywood High School, where I went. (laughs) He had been hired to set up the scene shop. So we a bunch of us students came down and we built the scene shop out. So I had that experience as well. Little did I know that I would spend the rest of my career in seat building and designing and building scenery. So, but I did there for about two years doing everything, floor directing, you know, you name it, cue cards, everything. So I learned kind of television from that perspective. Then I got into, a, as a production assistant, videotaping casting sessions, because I had been part of a video theater company called Hippo Video, where we were doing pre-recorded video and the characters would interact with the video live on stage. Right. Lily Tomlin used the technique. She collaborated with our director, Boyd Klopp and got the idea from our theater presentation to do a real life show where she was interacting with her characters on video on stage. Cool. So then I had started working in a boutique production company. Enley Lacey was where I started as a PA. And then I went to work for Ross McCanson Associates as an in-house PA. So I sort of, again, sort of for two years worked in sort of the different departments. Then I started becoming a prop assistant for commercials and a, a prop master for commercials. This is the end of the 70s, early 80s. Uh, a prop master and a set decorator in commercials. And then I went to work for Roger Corman right. uh, in the late 80s, starting off as a prop assistant on Battle Beyond the Stars, yeah. which was his Star Wars. Yeah, uh, I remember. Yes. And that's where I met Jim Cameron and the Skotek brothers in the damp and dreary lumberyard, Hammond Lumber, which Corman purchased to turn into a while we were preparing for the movie that studio was being built literally around us. (laughs) Eventually I became Jim's uh, assistant. He became the production designer. I became his art director. And we did another movie a year later called Galaxy of Terror, which was 
Roger Corman's Alien. Right. Uh, answered. And then at, coming out of that, I went right in, back into commercials as an art director, working Timex commercials and Renault commercials. I was doing sort of high-end commercials for about 15 years after that. And then sometime in the 90s, I got into the union through a series that I called uh, Perversions of Science, which was a series that was created by the people that had done Tales from the Crypt. Right. So then after that, I was in the union then. Then I did Sledgehammer, which was my first television as a production designer, the first season of that. And mm-hmm. then I, d- I didn't like television. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like the pace. And I left and went back to commercials. And that I didn't really like. Uh, it wasn't the same when I had gone back to it. And I circled back around and I was uh, working with um, a friend of mine, Greg Melton, who had been my set decorator when I was doing commercials. And Greg had taken over my post at, on Sledgehammer and become the production designer. And he had taken off in television. He worked on Tales from the Crypt for about about eight years. And so I became in an odd turnabout. I became his art director for about 20 years. <laughs> and we leapfrogged on projects, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's very much sort of the epitome of working your way in from the ground up. That is, that's amazing. So when did you get involved with Lucifer? I had been doing a series in Atlanta called Survivor's Remorse, and it was the final season. The producer that I had been working for, Hilton Smith, had been offered Lucifer. He liked my work. We got along very well, and he brought me in on the project. So season three of Lucifer was when it had come to Los Angeles, Canada. And my first task was to recreate all the permanent sets, which they were great. Right allow me to modify. So that's how I got to the project. Yes, because it moved to LA, didn't it? Because it did two seasons on Fox and then moved to Netflix. So um, through the last Fox season. Oh, okay. So they did one season there as well. The whole background of Lucifer's been kind of a roller coaster ride of cancelled by Fox, coming back by Netflix, then Netflix stopping it and then adding more seasons and then more episodes and then more seasons. <laughs> it's been crazy. It must have been like a roller coaster for you guys behind the scenes. Absolutely. Like season three, when it ended, we learned that we had been dropped by Fox, which was a real surprise because we felt everything was working so well and, and we got great fan response. And yeah. But then we got a million tweets to hashtag save Lucifer. We had a million tweets hmm. and that got Netflix's attention. Yeah. We got picked up. They've been great to keep us. Yeah. I'm so glad they did. And I mean, it came a huge show for them. So in terms of your work on it, like you say, you joined at season three, but you got to rebuild some of the sets in Los Angeles. So what were the sort of tweaks that you made to the big established sets like uh, Lux and the LAPD and the Penthouse? Well, for Lux, I added sort of what I call the MGM staircase right. that winds up. And in, in, uh, in my mind, I connected that to the ground floor entrance of Lux because we were in the basement. And the ground floor entrance was a practical location downtown Los Angeles, the Cicada Club. It's had a beautiful Art Deco courtyard, and we would use that as our entry, you know, for a ground level entrance, which we did yeah. several times. So I think other than that, I pretty much I left it the way it was. That was a, actually a pretty big addition. And then in his penthouse, I added the mezzanine level with the spiral staircase. I did small things like moving the elevator door to the corner so that we walk into the three-quarter view and see the room. It was a better way to bring people in and out of the set. In that set, in his bedroom, the carvings, the temple carvings, were rather vague and undefined in the original. And maybe that was on purpose so that they didn't have to give it origin, but I really wanted to give it origin. So <laughs> the research on uh, Hindu temples. And I had some famous carvings like the loving couple, which is on either side of his bed. And there's actually the tree of life, which was Babylonian. And then Ganesha and other Hindu deities, the idea being that he, with his powers, was able to transport sections of a Hindu temple into his, his bedroom and 
create that as a surrounding to himself. I brought in about nine fantastic sculptors and they carved all of that out of foam and then painted it. So it looked like sandstone, like ancient sandstone from a Hindu temple. It was really amazing, fun project. I actually was able to work with a lot of really talented artisans, a lot of sculpting. We did a lot of sculpting on Lucifer. It was really exciting to be able to do that, to have access to that. Then um, the precinct, the back wall was dead in the original design. It was simply had file cabinets. There were no windows other than the mezzanine entry level. So I, the, the year before I had done training day and training day because Bill Paxton died, sadly. Yes. Uh, and so it was a Bruckheimer production as was Lucifer. So I was able to utilize set pieces, which I had mostly designed anyway from that show. So I brought in the conference room and I put it at that end of the set, which took us to an outside window, which we had a skyline of Los Angeles. And then we had an, another place for exposition. Up to that point, the interrogation room and the and the viewing room were places where we would tell backstory or expository dialogue. But now we have a conference room where we could bring people in. We could lay evidence out on a table. We had a television monitor. We mm. had the city. So it was a much and it brought light into the room from another direction. So that was one of the primary things. The other thing was the ceiling in the original was a kind of a skylight ceiling created very flat lighting in the room and no one liked the look of that. So I made it a hard ceiling and we use more directional light, more motivational light to create more of an atmosphere and control the lighting in that room. We added a lieutenant's office. Um, Chloe's house remained pretty much the same. Didn't do mm-hmm. much there. Um, I think that covers it. That's, that's plenty. I mean, <laughs> for the sixth season, you had a couple of interesting new things that you had to play around with. God's Throne Room, I think, is probably one of the most notable ones. So how did that come about? What was the inspiration for that? Well, that actually turned out to be one of the most difficult sets I had designed for the entire show because <laughs> first, my favorite conversation was, so in this uh, episode, we want you to design God's Throne Room in heaven. <laughs> so yeah, show no pressure. Sure. You know, no, no problem. <laughs> first thought was, well, I don't want to create a, a gothic church. You know, yeah. there's, and, and when you do, and if you ever just Google heaven or God's throne room, you'll see a lot of Olympian marble thrones with a guy in a robe and a beard, a couple of Roman columns, a lot of smoke and fog. That's pretty much all there is because mm-hmm. nobody wants it to what they think heaven's going to look like. Yeah. Because you're not going to fit most people's conception of what that is. So, so I felt some pressure at that point, but then I realized that my inspiration actually came from Gaudi. I had been in Spain the year before on a vacation with my wife and we went to all of the wonderful Gaudi locations and places he had designed. But the, my favorite was the Sagrada Familia. And the Sagrada, there's an apocryphal story where when he was given that project, Gaudi went to, for a walk in the woods. And the way that the light came from the treetops, he went through a grove of trees and those majestic trunks and the and the tr- the, the uh, branches in, intertwining overhead, allowing shafts of light to come down. He felt very close to God in that setting. He was very much inspired by nature as well. So a lot of his designs, the geometry of his designs came from his study of plants, a lot like da Vinci. So taking that as my cue, I thought I would like to try to create a spiritual space that was translucent, open, because we're supposed to be at the highest point in heaven. Literally on a, in my idea, it was a shaft of water, like a geyser that was going straight up. Like it was a waterfall on all sides and the top was frozen water. And Mm. that this throne room was at the top of that. It had to be open to allow angels to fly in from any direction and land because that's the only way you could get there and then walk up and approach the throne. So solid, I didn't want to have solid walls. I didn't want to have Gothic arches. (laughs) So 
I, I was working with um, Tim Wilcox initially, who was a 3D designer, and I was working in a parametric design, which is how Gaudi developed a lot of his architecture was using parametric mathematics of arches and structure of plants. And so we started to build basically these shapes that intertwined, interconnected, that created chambers, round columns or beams that intersected. And where they intersected, it created an arch and then also created a chamber or a volume. And so it just literally was just trying things until it felt right, the height, the width, the shape. I made it a mirrored floor on the set to create the idea of a frozen water surface. And it also reflected the image of, of the throne room, which added another interesting dimension to the space. Then the column bases of these arches were a direct reference to Gaudi's Sagrada because they were like the trunks of trees, just like his columns are. Right. They grew in place and extruded these beams. Mm. And we called heaven the silver city in the show. So we painted it sort of a satin silver so it would reflect light. Then I also thought it would be interesting to add a little bit of asymmetry to it. So I designed a lattice work that we printed. Actually, we're going to print it, but we ended up stenciling it onto a white trim material. So there's a there's a very diaphanous layer of a faint pattern of a lattice pattern that's behind this backing sort of the, the furthest back arches. So you sort of see through those as well. So it kind of broke up the open spaces because it was a mostly open space. And then we wrapped that whole set in a white limbo muslin that we had made with a white ceiling so that the light came in softly from all sides. It created an infinity effect. And that was that later became the room of infinite white when Chloe ascends to have it. Right. Yeah. Useful to have a double use for it. That's very handy. It's a lovely set that. I really, really like that set. One of the other things that you produced for season six was the Magic Castle, which is a real place in Los Angeles. So did you have any reference for that? Because I know, as they mentioned in the show, you've kind of got to be members to be able to get inside. So was that imagining what it looks like or did you actually get any reference for it? Yes, we were able to shoot the exterior and some of the entrances. And then for that whole sequence in the theater, I built the theater interior, which was based a little bit on one of their theaters. The proscenium was based on their proscenium, but I expanded it and added more detail to it. And I, the entire room is is really literally nothing but drapery, which fortunately at Warner Brothers, there's a beautiful drapery department. So we had, you know, incredible matching set of red drapery to create the space. And then we needed a secret entrance and I was trying to rack my brains how I could introduce a secret entrance into a room of drapery without it being like, let's pull the drape apart and here, there's a door. Yeah. So somehow I just got the idea to use a, a pipe organ, which is sort of in keeping in the care of the Magic Castle. It's a Victorian sort of architecture and style. And my set decorator, Karen, found the organ that used to be at the Rialto Theater, the original uh, silent movie organ, that yeah. was being recorded at an organ restoration company. And they allowed us to rent it and bring it in, put it on a pivoting base so that it would wheel out of the way, you know, so you could reveal the corridor. And then we built that subterranean hallway where we find Chloe later yeah. on. And the magic acts on stage, the box where the uh, knives are thrust in, came from a magician's workshop, the gentleman who makes magic acts for magicians and also has an incredible museum of historic collection of uh, magic acts so we rented that box from him <laughs> and the sarcophagus just came from a prop house it was my idea to use a, a vertical sarcophagus for him to exit from because i could have it downstage and it could be seen the whole time the magic you know of him going from the sword box to the sarcophagus would be even more interesting yeah it's great that opening episode the props work really well it, it feels like it all sort of gels and fits together and i mean i've never been in the magic castle but i i you know it's, it's one of those places i would love to visit at some point yes it's a incredible place i've been there several times and i've seen shows and so on 
It's one of my favorite places. I was very excited to actually go there and shoot there, have the opportunity to sort of work with what was the style of the building was and so on. Yeah. The show overall, given that there is basically a murder every week on that show, and so you're kind of having to do, I mean, some of them are outdoor locations, but you are having to do different locations for every episode. Is there any particular things over your time on the series, any locations that were particularly interesting to create other than the ones we talked about? Um, the Mars Habitat was extremely interesting to do. Um, <laughs> that was, uh, I believe, the second episode of season five. Yeah. Mars Habitat, that was really fun. Um, you know, it was also challenging because it had to have five people in a sleeping habitat inside a Mars Habitat mock-up. Murderer enters in a spacesuit from an airlock. So it had to have an airlock. The, the director, Sherman Shalati, who's extremely talented, has done beginning episodes and ending episodes and some of the more interesting visual episodes requested that we create the airlock and to make it look like 2001, the airlock 2001. <laughs> and so because of entrances, it was one of the best parts of, the, of that set actually was that I got to do that as well, create this airlock. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, spaceship hatches, the doors, those were, do those had to be practical and look functional. And then, the, you know, the beds that had to look like they pulled out of the wall, it all had to look functional. That was really interesting to do. Um, another set for Sherwin earlier season, I think it was in four, we had the karaoke set, which he envisioned as a almost like a gaming environment where Lucifer comes down the stairs into a Korean karaoke bar that was the headquarters of the Korean sort of drug henchman. Because he comes down the corridor, all the karaoke doors open up and somebody attacks him from different directions with knives and guns. And he gets to do a lot of martial arts in a very confined space. Yeah. And, I, and he told me he wanted the hallway to be four feet wide and pretty close to 80 feet long. <laughs> when, wow. When I have a sequence in a four foot wide corridor. You know, I couldn't quite believe that how that was going to work, you know, but yeah, this did. So I had to figure that out. And then we printed our wallpaper in that hallway because I needed I wanted to make it an interesting, you know, an interesting volume. So we printed on a silver foil paper, sort of a geometric pattern. So it was very Escher like uh, and recessed hidden lighting. And then it ended in a kind of almost a, an 80s bar interior where the henchman was with neon. And it was just it was really fun. It was challenging. All the sets in Lucifer allowed me. They were very gracious to allow me to really run with the concepts. And I was allowed to try all kinds of crazy things for the episodes. Um, we had a pudding factory, a pudding factory where somebody falls into a vat of pudding. Right. Yes. Yeah. There was, gosh, there's so many of them, actually. Um, well, the, the noir episode, All In, the black and white episode. Right. Yeah. Which was done on the back lot of Warner Brothers. Mm. Um, and we turned to sort of the largest interior that was there into the club. We did his detect the classic Bogart detective office. That's one that where everybody's talents really shown. Ken Glassing was the DP and, and his gaffer did an incredible job of capturing the noir lighting, you know, to create the atmospheres that was needed for wardrobe. Everybody, everybody did an incredible job on that episode. That was a standalone in many ways. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that I don't think people realize quite how much work goes into having to recreate that sort of thing. So it was a great episode that as well. Lucifer now is done. I will miss it greatly, but, you know, it had to come to an end at some point. So the next project you're on is CSI Vegas, which you would be working on, which is a sort of continuation of the original CSI. I don't know exactly how much you can say about this because it isn't out yet, but the original show, The Lab 
always to me felt a bit like it was some sort of basement in Vegas somewhere. Are you using any of the original stuff or is it completely start from scratch with this? It's completely start from scratch. The brief that we got was that the building was a mid-century building that had been gutted and that the laboratory had been built inside of it. And that it was somewhere on the outskirts of, of Vegas so that we could see the skyline from a window. Oh, cool. Uh, so that was sort of the, the original premise. Then we, I'm careful how I describe this. I, I don't think I can give anything away, frankly, because the show is going to premiere soon. But it's basically a series of interconnected laboratories with a great deal of glass right. so that you're through to other laboratories from wherever you are. One of the challenges besides the time frame, which we had a very short prep and we had a lot to build, was the forensics, the science, because now we have to be current with all of the forensic science and all of these instruments and the procedures. Again, my very talented decorator, Karen, managed to contact vendors of the machinery, the real actual forensic machinery, and was able to get the equipment sent to us. We, we couldn't afford to buy any of it because they're all hundreds of thousands of dollars. So all of, of it was, you know, was promoted to come in and then they would send reps who would instruct the set deck department and the prop department how to actually run all this equipment so that you could show the actors. But to just organize all of that equipment and bring it in and working to fit everything into the spaces we were designing at the same time as we were designing and building it, it was almost a, a concurrent design build process because of the compressed time frame. We lost about four weeks in the beginning. So I was four weeks short of design time. Uh, we did the, the overall design done in nine days. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wow. It was the, Stop marathon. Tom Wagman, my set designer, and I were just hammered at it for nine days, and then we presented it to the Brookheimer organization, and then we then we continued to work on it. But it was ninety five percent done at that point. Then we had to translate that to working drawings immediately so that it could start building. So I had many other set designers come aboard, you know, take parts of it and turn them into working plans. So it was quite an enterprise. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like a massive undertaking. So I'm very interested to see what it turns out like. Like, because, you know, as I say, I love the original show. So it's going to be interesting to see that come back. Is it interesting the idea of going for like interconnecting sort of glass laboratories? Because I would have thought shooting that could be tricky, though it would look great, but, you know, with reflections everywhere. Every pane of glass pivots, they're all gimbaled out of necessity. And it is something we do normally, but wherever your shot is, you're going to have to gimbal all the, the, the glass in the background so you don't reflect things you don't want to see. That's yeah. one the other things you'll have to populate the background with people working on something or, you know, you're always seeing through. It's never like, oh, we're in this room. We don't have to have these extras, you know, in the background doing various tasks, you know, to sure. fill the, you know, there are other things like because of the, uh, the history of CSI, because it was a precedent setting show visually in many ways, it did sort of set visual style for the decades after that. Yeah. Uh, it was a huge challenge for everyone, DP, directors, writers, everyone to come up with cases that were visually interesting. I guess probably shouldn't the pilot, but there was a, the crime in that particular one involved a fire set, which is always difficult to produce realistically. So, yeah. then, you know, as we were trying to get all of the permanent sets done, which were quite challenging, we were then going into the locations and the sets for the pilot, which were equally challenging. So it was seven days a week for everything. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hence the reason you're now taking a holiday. <laughs> that is exactly right. <laughs> so um, have you got other stuff lined up? I, I'm assuming you probably can't tell me what you have got lined up if you're moving on to something else. But I'm looking at various projects. I'm um, 
it's tough to follow up after Lucifer. I mean, besides the creative freedom I had and the, the wonderful scripts that we were given to work with and the camaraderie, we had an incredible family. You know, we call it mm. to Lucy, you know, everyone, the actors, everyone, the, all the departments. We were very we grew together very, uh, very closely as a, as a family. It was very positive and supportive. And that's going to be very difficult to find and, you know, to get that same environment again. So I look very carefully at the coming projects to see that I would like to try to find something that is very challenging was and also that positive environment, work environment, those goals. Yeah, definitely. So last couple of questions for you. The first question is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? I just finished Nine Perfect Strangers, which I love. Yes. I watched The Nevers, which I also really enjoyed. Yeah. I'm um, looking forward to the second half of that. Yes. Yes, I am as well. There was an interesting show. I believe it's on Prime. It's called Astrid, and it's a French procedural. But the chief protagonist is a, a girl who has Asperger's who works in the crime library in Paris, where they keep the criminal So she, all of the, the reports, all the crimes cross her table. She scans them to archive them, but she reads them all. And because of her condition, she has an eidetic memory and she remembers everything that she reads. And she begins to work in partnership with a female detective who is, uh, you know, in typical television fashion, sort of a maverick on the edge, always at odds with her boss, but also as an out of the box thinker. And yeah. so they solve crimes and each of their cases are extremely interesting. I know this sounds like a parallel to Lucifer, but, but anyway, it's really uh, interestingly written. The characters are very well drawn. The, the young lady who plays Astrid is very talented. She's really come up with interesting characteristics for her character. And then the cases themselves are very interesting. So that was really was a fantastic series i recommend anyone to see yeah i'll um, have to go and look that one up yeah so those are the two that that come to mind you know i i love the mayor of east town yeah and you know I, I love the umbrella academy i do like fantasy or genre shows so those i'm drawn to those i would love to work on one i've done regular shows i've done hospital shows i've done a little bit of everything but and police uh, procedurals anything with a supernatural or unusual genre theme to work on well that sort of was my final question is if you had the opportunity to work on any tv show could it be something from the past something present or some sort of future genre what would it be but by the sides of it some sort of supernaturally kind of thing <laughs> would be good well you know also like raised by wolves obviously ridley scott anything oh, yeah that's fantastic anything in that vein i'm happy to be involved with yeah something with like that sort of sci-fi fantasy stuff would be yeah that's there's well there's a lot of that sort of stuff floating around at the moment i've just started watching um foundation on apple tv plus that's next actually on my list i've only watched the first episode but it's a masterclass in kind of world building and it looks incredible i don't know what how much money they threw at it but i mean <laughs> it's sort of proper movie level sort of just stunning the way it comes across visually that so yeah she'll enjoy that i'm anticipating dune i'm super excited about dune from the yes. trailer looks like they got it right you know i was a big fan of the books and i wasn't a huge fan of the david lynch version i was you know as many people i guess may have been disappointed in the impossible task of putting all of that into one movie and i'm hoping that dune will spawn a franchise which i suspect is, is on everyone's minds including the makers because it lends itself to that but yeah they i think they got it right when i see from the trailers yes yeah i know that's very very anticipated as well so that's going to be an interesting one so I shall let you get back to your day. Thank you for spending a little bit of time to chat through your stuff. I'm very interested to see CSI Vegas when that comes out. And as I say, I was a huge fan of Lucifer. So hopefully you can come back on and chat a bit more when your next project comes up. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to speaking to you again. Talk to you again soon, hopefully. Bye. Bye-bye.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.